Hi, and welcome to another edition of Tech Interviews. Um, so on this week's show, I'm picking up on one of kind of the uh, the main topics of conversation that I have with enterprises all of the time. And it's been a particular area of interest for me this year. Um, and that is the idea of data leak prevention or data loss prevention, uh, whichever whichever L you want to use, um, and, and developing and building those kind of strategies. Um, and, and this episode has come about by a conversation that I had uh, relatively recently um, where today's guests uh, use the phrase DLP myths. And I like the idea so much. I thought it would make a great podcast episode because, you know, data loss prevention is very high on the priority list for, for pretty much any business that uh, that I talk to these days and, and certainly for sure for most of you who are watching this show. So um, so we thought we'd dive into some myths and, and help to help to correct them. So uh, joining me uh, on this week's show is Justin Bortnick. Justin, hi, how are you doing? Great. How are you doing today, Paul? Yeah, real good. And uh, well, well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming on the show. And um, I, I think we've got a fascinating episode to go through. Uh, and, I, and I think we've got very much a, a shared passion in this space around uh, around data loss prevention. Um, so, um, but before we jump in, as we always do here on Tech Interviews, uh, Justin, why not uh, take a moment, introduce yourself, tell us who you are and what it is you do. Sounds great. So uh, hello, Paul. I've been with Digital Guardian for eight years now. Uh, I am a director of sales engineering for the West uh, portion of the U.S., and uh, my job with DG has been to simplify uh, complex ideas and work with customers that have challenging issues in protecting their data across the enterprise from, you know, employees that work from home to the most prized uh, crown jewels of an organization. Uh, I've worked with the smallest organizations down to 12 employees up to uh, deploying 60,000 agents in a matter of two weeks uh, in a POC. So. I've uh, seen a lot of the different ways that companies are challenged. I've also uh, been close to these customers in their deployments and their integrations as well. So really helping maintain and grow and strengthen their approach to data protection. So uh, I'm really excited to be on the podcast uh, today with you and to help uh, deliver maybe some uh, defining uh, ways that we look at data protection and, and ways to dispel some of the common myths that exist about DLP. So, uh, well, so it's a, couple, a couple of great things in the introduction. I, I like the idea of uh, 60,000 users in a POC. I mean, that's one concept to prove that. So I, I kind of like that. So, yeah, not, not, certainly not doing that on a small scale. Um, so, so that's good. That's right. Um, and, and I love the phrase actually before about, um, you know, part of your role is to simplify complex issues because um, I, I was funny on, on the day that uh, on the day that we're recording this, that um, I, I met with a um, an enterprise this morning where we was having this this conversation around kind of data protection and starting to build out their data protection strategy. And one of the things I found myself saying was the longer we talked, I realized the more complicated it sounded. Um, and just to kind of step back from that a little and say to them, look, this doesn't have to be complex. This can be a you know, not necessarily a straightforward thing to do, but it, we can remove some of the complexity by being smart about this and, and realizing there's kind of tools and technology that we, we can use to, to help us to start to define some of this stuff. So so it's interesting that you kind of mentioned that in, in one of your main main kind of roles. So, um, But you also mentioned the other thing that um, I think is going to be at the heart of this show, and, and that is this idea of um, DLP myths and, and maybe trying to create uh, correct some of those. So um, well, why don't we jump into that first? So uh, Justin, yeah, do, you, do, you want, do you want to share with us kind of some of the some of the common myths that, um, that that you shared with me when we spoke recently, you know, and, and some of the things that you're seeing on a on a regular basis, you know, the things that uh, the things that you probably hear and it makes you bang your head against the wall. Yeah, no, that's great. And uh, so when we think about these myths, there's really two sides of it. One of them is from a vendor perspective, meaning that as a vendor selling data protection, 
I have some assumptions I like to make about my customers. And that happens across the data protection portfolio pretty heavily across all the vendors there, where uh, a lot of uh, the guesswork happens up front, meaning that there's assumptions made. And because of those assumptions that the vendor makes, the, uh, they put in a protection schema to help that in enterprise. And so a big part of that assumption process is something that at Digital Guardian, we like to uh, put ourselves in learning mode. So instead of assuming we know where our sensitive data is, this is probably one of the most common myths out there for not the vendor now, but for a customer, right? Because when I assume you know where your data is, that's because as a IT administrator or a security individual, that you have an index of this data. But the truth is that that index would only be as good as your latest survey that you just had with your employee base. Because tomorrow, Superman Jones shows up somebody's desk under, you know, as a little server, they keep a backup farm or somebody's got a NAS that they uh, purchased for a, a black ops project. In the end, with these different, uh, you know, at-home technologies where we can preserve the data, saying we know where data is, is a real, uh, a big fallacy up front. And the only way that we have seen to take this approach of, okay, well, you know, as an organization, an enterprise, your goal is to know where your data is. Let me help you build a defined process to illustrate where it comes from and where it goes to, because that's where your data lives. It's your ingress locations where data comes from, and it's your egress locations where data goes to, right? In between, you have the endpoint where a user stores the data locally, but what we're really seeing here is those three defined places. Ingress, where does data come from? It came out of Salesforce. It came out of the AutoCAD design folder. It came out of the secret recipes, right? It's the PII repository. That's our ingress locations. And that's one of the crown jewels of an organization. Where is your data ingressing from? And that's one of the real places that we focus on that it has been a, a cornerstone of our business. Because once you know where data is coming from, well, it's really easy to, to tell if data is sensitive, right? So if I find a social security number and it's your, uh, you know, social security number, that doesn't mean that it's an actual exact data match for social security number. It just means that the numbers match. And I'll give you an example. When you go to Gmail and you send up an email, there's a lot of GUIDs. GUIDs are set of digits and alphanumeric characters that make up a storage element. It could be for a token. It could be for authorization. In the end, these GUIDs are common usage for all development frameworks. And in the web, it happens all the time where a six digit, a nine digit, a 16 digit number that matches a credit card, matches a social security number, matches your product ID shows up in these web pages. But that doesn't mean that it's your social security number. It's the source of the data where it came from that helps us determine if it's a false positive. And so the ingress of where data comes from means that we don't have to just rely on the patterns that we match, but we can use both of where the data comes from and what's within that file to determine it's sensitive. So I'd say that's the second myth that all DLP has false positives. And, and that's because most of the vendors either do exact data matching or they do a process called content pattern matching. And both of those mean that we're matching elements within a file or the file itself. But it doesn't mean we're considering the surrounding data.
right? So if you get a file from Salesforce, that file came from Salesforce, no matter what. If you get a file from your intranet, it came from your intranet. And the idea that we have a chain of custody of that data came from location A, went to the user's desktop, and now it also has PII in it. Well, now that's guaranteed not to be a false positive. And the reason for that is because we're using the contextual awareness of what we know about who that user is and where they're getting the data from. And the problem that people face, right? The first myth we brought up was knowing all your ingress locations, because if you don't know all of those, that can be a big uh, risk for you to not have labeled those paths of where data comes from. Then after we have that ability, we can now uh, dispel false positives because we can tag that data because it has patterns that match and because it came from that sensitive location. So I think, I mean, there's loads in what you've just said there. Um, but, you know, I think I'd say those kind of two key myths are something that, you know, like you, I, this is something that I do on a, on a regular basis with people. And, and they are absolutely core to actually probably one of the things that puts people off trying to do this kind of thing. You know, it's that idea that um, one, oh, we'll never find all of our data or, or we have to assume that we must know where everything is. Um, you know, because I think that's a that's an interesting challenge, isn't it, in itself that, I think we can we can find the data that that we do know, you know, and we, and we can kind of point at those repositories and we can understand that data better, etc. But actually, it's that second part of it as well that you, you kind of talked about because I think that that starts to cover some of those areas that not knowing where our data is, we can start to address it in different ways, you know, because it just just because we don't necessarily capture all of the data start, you know, kind of the data endpoints right at the beginning, that doesn't mean that we can't do DLP. You know, that doesn't mean that we can't build a data. You, you use a phrase, actually, in your, your introduction, data protection strategy, which is actually a phrase I, I very much prefer. For me, you know, data loss prevention is just part of a much bigger data protection, data security strategy. Um, but, you know, so I think that's, you know, that idea of don't let's not overly worry that we have to know where everything is, because I think, like you said, you know, the reality is that you probably don't, you know, you, you know where most of it is, but the law always be always be somewhere and I think actually yeah. that, that other part and you know and this was something that I, I kind of looked at earlier this year I, I've, I've done a kind of a little bit of research which I you know is how, into this kind of DLP space which is is how we ended up talking um, and one of the challenges that I think that, that we see is is this kind of myth that DLP technology is a little old hat you know it's it's something that people used to do where we worried about could we copy data to a USB stick and actually it's that kind of false positive thing that oh, it's always a problem because what we're looking at is kind of false positives all the time because it thinks it's a credit card number and it was a telephone number and that's okay kind of thing. Um, you know, and, and I find that, that that's problematic in so much that organizations are ignoring the requirement to do this kind of stuff and, and really right. the, the business demand to it because their kind of view of DLP is this kind of legacy approach that is, is you know, not, not the reality. And... You, you kind of finished up on it, and I'd like to kind of delve into that a little. You, you kind of finished up by talking about this idea of context, you know. And I'm a I'm a huge believer that any good DLP technology solution um, has loads of context around how it evaluates whether data is at risk or it doesn't. You know, and it's it's is that something you can expand on a little bit? You know, am I am I thinking in the right way there as well? Yes, you definitely are, and, and the context is key because in the end, a user can change the content. 100%. You know how the easiest way to change all the content in a file? Encrypt it. 
can you see a pattern anymore? Yep. This is my favorite question to ask, right, Paul? If I take your uh, driver ID, right? I take your number, I take your social security number, I take your personal information and I put it in an encrypted file. Is your data still in that file? Well, who knows? But let's say, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's it, a problem, it, it isn't is. it? Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Who can tell at that point, right? Yeah. Well, Digital Guardian can, because what we do is we take a chain of custody of that data. So once again, the context here, what is the context? The file had sensitive data. That's the context. Now, the resulting file now encrypted. Do you see your social security number? Do you see a, a credit card match? Do you see somebody's name in there? Is there date of birth in there? Maybe, but you can't define that anymore because the data is encrypted, right? So what we do at that point is we give you that index that says, well, sensitive data went into the encrypted file. The resulting data must be sensitive as well. And that is the real kind of crux of the context uh, problem, which is users and systems can change the content of that data to the point where you cannot see it any longer. Encryption, obfuscation, right? Those are the two paths they can take. Either way, it leaves you blind unless you've been taking an index and watching it all the way down the chain of custody. So as that person went into the lab, they checked out the beaker, you know they have this beaker checked out, right? It, you can't go and do research for a pharmaceutical lab without following the chain of custody procedure. But could you imagine if we initiated that same process for Salesforce? No one would ever get their work done, right? So you need to automatically do this. It has to be a seamless process. And that's what we've defined here is that contextual awareness to track the chain of custody. So if you're a developer and you're going out and building out a new uh, node.js uh, framework, or you're building out some CAD designs, if you take those files and obfuscate them into an archive and then rename that to a JPEG, at that point, we don't know that that user has a JPEG unless that JPEG is opened and looked at, right? So like the idea becomes, okay, well, it could be a JPEG because it looks like a JPEG. It walks like a JPEG. It's got the same file size as a normal JPEG. But in reality, it's not. What it was is an archive that has CAD designs and source code in it. And the only way you know that is because you go and you have a record of what happened all the way through. And that's why instead of needing to have the answers to these problems that we've discussed so far, we take the informed approach where instead of you having to do guesswork, let us collect that data for you. We call that the crawl, walk, run. Talked about 60,000 endpoints in a POC because we wanted to crawl. We wanted to know what people are doing. You know what I found? I found one of these employees took a bunch of PST data from a bunch of their managers and they were an IT guy and they could log into people's C dollar sign share. Well, that's a problem, but this customer was a Gmail shop. So that the real problem became that these users were using Outlook to go to Gmail, right? So once again, what we've gone and started to uncover here is that the context, this visibility that we give is the key to solving the third myth, right? Which is people know what their problems are. 
Yeah. Well, well, and, and actually, that leads in perfectly to something I was I was going to ask you because kind of what you was articulating there for me was the the complexity of the problem almost, you know. And I think when I, when I've talked to people about you know the modern security threat, if you like, and you know, and data loss prevention is part of this kind of as we as we touched on before, part of this modern security approach. That part of that kind of modern threat is is it, it, it's kind of twofold. You know, one is the way that we've changed the way that we work. You know, so so we operate now, and obviously the last eighteen months, nearly two years now, has has accelerated lots of that change. But you know, we are, but but even before that, you know, people working more flexibly. So the idea that we would we we would work from home or work from multiple locations, we would use different types of devices. Obviously, the use of cloud services, whether that's software as a service, whether that's cloud infrastructure, whether that's just using OneDrive or Gmail or, or whatever, you know, that, that that using all of those kind of things means that our data becomes in, increasingly more distributed. And, and of course, the threat externally to us has changed as well, hasn't it, in terms of people want our data, they want our information, they want our IDs, you know, to, to try and get access to that. But some of the things you were also talking about there, you know, was that idea of look at the, the ways we can look to obfuscate i can't even say that word look to confuse let's go with that um yeah but sure. look, look to confuse look to find ways that we can even if not maliciously that we can almost exfiltrate data out of an organization by trying to avoid our, our traditional approaches to it which kind of leads back to, to what i was going to say which maybe seems a little bit odd odd way around um that, that i ask this this kind of question now but i think you've you've kind of covered so much is that you know if people are listening to this right now thinking, oh, I don't need to worry about data loss prevention strategy. I don't need to do, do anything about data loss prevention. You know, what, what, what's maybe that's a myth in itself. I don't need to do anything about this. You know, what, what I mean, what, what would you say to that in terms of, of how you see the challenge and how you see the threat posed by data being lost from an organization? You know, it's a great question because in the end, this is really the challenge that you face as an organization on how to implement DLP. Because what is the driving? What's your driver? You know, are you doing it because you have an audit coming up? Are you doing it because you must be compliant? Are you doing it because the board told you you needed to? Is it a top down from the executive team because they saw some issues at an older company? And here's the real one. This is the pretty much the sole driver. You had a breach. That's the one. If you have a breach, we're going to be on the phone. We're going to talk because you have to do something at that point. Mm. Now, the breach can be a range of devices, a range of data. Uh, unfortunately, ransomware is not lumped together with data protection and DLP. But can you imagine where the number one risk is for these organizations? It's ransomware taking PII, right? They're not, that, that's not, when you talk about a malware or malicious actor there's zero analysis of what sensitive data is touched because all they care about is, oh, we got hit by ransomware and they're encrypting our drives and they took data. Okay, great. But the sen was it sensitive? That's not the question that gets asked, but that's the cost of the breach. And that's why I end up on the phone with people because in the end, unless you have a compliance driver, meaning that you are required by law to have an evidentiary chain. Now, you know, those compliance drivers usually come up with Paul, a checklist, you go down and check all the boxes and you're good, right? So do you buy the most expensive solution on the market for that? No. Do you buy the one that covers you fully? No. You buy the one that checks the boxes so you're compliant. Well, 
there's two types of thoughts in security, right? There's being compliant and there's being secure. All right. And let me tell you the difference. Okay. You can be compliant, but that does not mean that you're secure. But if you're secure and you've defined all your egress vectors, you've defined all your ingress vectors, you've built a governance program, right? So how do we, you know, we talked about the third myth I brought up, which is people don't know the problems they're trying to solve. Well, do you know how to solve those problems by putting in place a governance program? Because governance is the only way that this is effective. I can't tell you how many customers get started with DLP and they go, okay, you know, this is great. But then we start finding incidents and they don't know how to handle that because they don't have the internal governance process defined to be able to deal with these incidents, right? So, you know, when you come to this common approach of everybody wants to do DLP because it's important for the organization, that would be a great day. But right now, what you see is that these organizations are doing DLP because they have to. And when you're told you have to do something, it doesn't always mean that you do the right thing. It means that you do whatever you can to solve the problem as quickly as possible. And so if we were to try to change that today on this podcast, I would say your biggest risks are your unknowns. So, you know, who gets rolled when there's a breach? The security team, right? The, the highest turnover in any organization is usually in security, right? CISOs have a lifespan of 18 to 24 months usually. And that's usually because something occurs or they get headhunted, right? And so this continual change of security, this influx of uh, responsibility being dealt to that team and then the blame being taken by them creates this problem that we've discussed here. So if you take the initiative now, which is to go out and build the governance program first, now you can get adoption from the business. And that's really how you find the ROI in d data protection. Because, you know, one of my customers said, hey, Justin, I never had to turn on prompting. I'm like, what do you mean? And a prompt is when somebody does something wrong, you tell them they did something wrong. And he said, no, I didn't have to do that. And I said, okay. And he's like, and I reduced risk by over 90%. I said, well, how did you do that? And he said, well, here's what I did. I built a governance program, all right? I took all of my managers and I sat them down and said, hey guys, this is coming down the pipe, all right? We got, guy, we got 10 members out there working with sensitive data and they might not be doing the right thing. And I'm not here to police them. That's your job. And what I'm gonna do here is I'm gonna give you a naughty list and you're gonna go through and you're gonna figure out who you're gonna get off that list. And if you don't, then we're gonna to have to talk about why you're not getting these people off that list. And that's all he did. And it worked because the governance process is what matters, right? And data protection, it's not the answer. It's governance that is the way that you engage this process, right? So I'd see the most successful customers that I have, they start with governance, they define the structure, they have an organized tactic and approach, they have a service now or some kind of back end that's driving those tickets and getting the data to the right people, right? So if it's a sales member that did something, you got to get it to the sales staff to see if this is right, you know, because I might just have a big presentation for the next, uh, you know, a unicorn out there. And yeah, it doesn't look normal, but, you know, these guys are in off, uh, you know, in a, t in a cage and you can't have any uh, uh, network in there. So I have to have all this stuff on a USB drive, right? So 
there may be a reason for users doing things. And that's the one part I'd like to kind of keep as a focal point, which is that all employees are here to collect paychecks and get promotions. And so that means that 90 to 95% of people's intent is to grow in an organization and it's not to do the wrong thing. Yeah. So you know what happens when this governance approach works? Those employees do the right thing and everybody moves forward, right? And and the the idea is, is you're creating this data stewardship, right? Where we are now uh, taking the initiative to protect data because the governance team has helped us learn that's what we have to do. So again, I mean, there's a ton of stuff in there, you know, and I'm kind of, I'm already concerned that we're, we're going to run out of time. There's a four hour podcast here, you know, quite easily, I think. But, uh, but you know, I, yeah, no, no, not at all. Yeah, I think people will quite happily listen to you for four hours, but whether they want to look at my face and hear me for four hours is a, is a different matter. But there's a couple of things I did want to kind of pick up on what you just talked about there, you know, and, and these are a couple of things I, I'm kind of with you, I, I believe passionately in that I think... You know, the, 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 we've talked about, obviously, we've talked about myths all the way through. I think one of the big myths is that the, this kind of data security is a technology problem, it's an IT problem. You know, and, and I think as you've articulated so well there, this is about people and process. Technology is just kind of a, an enforcer almost to getting the governance right, getting the policies and the procedures right. Because if you've got that, and like you said before, if you've got buy-in across an organization as to why data protection and data security are important, then you'll be able to build a successful DLP strategy, including appropriate technology. I think I, I, I'm kind of with you. I think without that, you are absolutely wasting your time because you are going to get pushback. You are going to get people trying to find ways of circumnavigating around kind of the, the things you've done because they'll see it as you're getting in the way. You know, this idea, like you said before, that, that idea that we deploy some technology ultimately to enforce these processes and procedures. But if people don't realize why we're doing that governance, that's going to be a huge problem for them, you know. And, and I think, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, you Justin, but you know, for me, I, I always think with these kind of these strategies and these approaches, the biggest thing that I can get any organization to do is to make the cultural change that understands why data protection is important. You know, is, is that is that similar? Is that the kind of thing that you see as well? Yeah, yeah, that cultural change to see that data protection is important, but really, it's that it's marrying it across the entire organization because you just said something key that it's not about the technology. And what is the technology? It's DLP, you're deploying an agent, you're putting in policies, you're enforcing those policies, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people that have conversations, right? We're talking about the fact that if John in finance didn't realize that he wasn't supposed to put his PST on a USB drive, that Mary, his supervisor should go talk to John and find out why John's doing something he shouldn't. Maybe it's because John has a good reason, or maybe it's because no one ever told him not to. But this governance approach, that's where people aren't going to spend their effort up front because a lot of the time, what they're looking to do is solve the problem with the least amount of effort to check the box. And that's not what we're talking about anymore, right? If we're taking a governance approach, it's a proactive measure that is something that's prescriptive, right? And, and you don't go to a doctor and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to do the echocardiogram and then you know what? I'm going to put the stent in. Like that's not how this works. And, and if it is, then, you know, that's, that's a whole new world. But for today, you know, what we've done to provide that type of service is we added on a, ma a managed service. 
And so how do you get to focus on governance? It's because you actually have a sock that's looking for these problems and solving them for you. So, you know, the last two myths that I have is that it takes 18 months to get value out of DLP and you need four people to manage it. And what I explained is you need a governance process to manage it. And if you have my team on the managed service, we fill the rest of that. We'll do the policy development. We get your agents out there for you to use. We develop the uh, backend system. It's a SaaS hosted platform and it has a managed service analyst on top of that. So that means that 24 by seven, our team can pull reports, exit interviews, or look for suspicious or malicious activity. And the process that you have to have internally to receive that is governance. And I'll tell you what, if everybody were to jump on the governance train and have this process built in, I would be plug and play for them. Unfortunately, we're just not there yet, right? And they talk about the maturity model of DLP as being legacy. Well, then you look at the maturity model of an enterprise in DLP and they're at a toddler stage. Because when you look at the process that we're following through, the governance is not the focus. And if we can bridge the gap to say that, you know what? Our people and training them to work with data correctly solves 90 to 95% of our problem. That's what Patrick Reedy did with the FBI, where he was told to go and put super glue and duct tape in every single USB port. You know what he said? I'm just going to ask these employees if they want to copy data to USB. And you know what happened? 90% of them right there stopped their activity. So this is similar to a governance approach, but they used a prompt to do that. Right. And the prompt asks the user, are you sure you want to continue? And that's where, once again, we get a defining line that gives an employees a driving force behind, uh, you know, doing this. Right. It's either going to be a governance where I'm going to have a relationship with my manager to talk about how I work with data, or it's going to be an agent that gives me a defined prompt. In both cases, this can be offered through our managed service. And we simplified a lot of the complexity by allowing our customers to take our output and then build those governance processes. So, you know, if you need help with it, we've got the communication for employees. How do you onboard these processes? And then that governance process, once again, you know, this is something I'm really passionate about because I've seen how effective this strategy is. And, and once again, uh, Paul, I really, and I know that you uh, got to get your piece in here because I think we're short on time, but what it comes down to is having the difference of technology, versus the people person process that occurs behind the back end that actually makes these programs effective and, and drives the, the want to protect data and, and the actual results that you're looking for to say, you know what, in three months, we've reduced risk by 90%, right? We didn't wait 18 months. It wasn't this unattainable thing that we couldn't get to because we built the right governance program and we had a managed service that helped us deliver that efficiently and, and uh, within a, a quick time frame. So so normally at this stage, I, I will ask a question about, you know, give me, give me three tips that the listening audience can kind of take away as things that they should be doing. Um, but I'm going to kind of shortcut that question here because I, I think, you know, you've, you've made it abundantly clear. And because I agree with it so much, um, I, I'm, I'm not even giving you the choice to give me three. You know, I think I, I you know, it, it comes across that the one thing that I think any organization who is looking at building a modern data loss prevention strategy and a broader data security, data protection strategy, governance is absolutely key. You know, governance buy-in education you know it's those it's those soft processes those people and process things this is not about 
you know, for me, the starting point isn't go and buy some technology and see how you get on. It's about understand what you're trying to achieve, understand why it's important, and then educate people. You, I mean, you used a great example before, didn't you, about, um, you know, the guy with the USB stick and he's copying things to the USB stick. Well, rather than going and giving him a hard time and hauling him in front of HR for copying to a USB stick, have we asked the question, why is he doing it? And why is, has anybody ever told him not to? You know, it's it's that kind of, you know, so, so get that thing right. But, um, well, I, I mean, you are, you, you're right in terms of that, you know, you, you're right, Justin, in terms that we're, we're kind of coming to the end of our time here. But before we go, there's a couple of things I, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to, to kind of share. Obviously, we've talked not loads about Digital Guardian. Obviously, you've mentioned that's who you work for and you've mentioned some of the services you guys have in place. Um, but but maybe to wrap up, you know, to, if people do want to find out more about Digital Guardian, you know, and, 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 and you know, absolutely advocate that these guys have got some great technology, you know, real leader in this space. But um, if people want to find out more about Digital Guardian, how do they go about doing that? And, and if they do want to find anything more about you, Justin, you know, I don't know whether you, you blog, you're available on Twitter or, or LinkedIn, whatever. But if people want to find out more about you know, some of your approaches and, and some of the advice that, that you guys can share, where, where can they go and do that? Yeah, so I, I post pretty heavily on LinkedIn. So that's kind of my area right now. I don't have a, a real security blog, but it's definitely something I've been uh, putzing around the idea of. Um, you know, the best way to get in touch with me, with me is through Digital Guardian. Uh, if you check out our website, digitalguardian.com, there's a great summary there. We were just acquired by a really unique company, Help Systems, who has a, a 30 year history in data protection and really has a, a core strategy in building a framework to help organizations. So with over 40,000 customers uh, working with health systems, we have a, a really huge uh, vertical of uh, different types of developers, automation engineers, and, and really it's going to be an exciting time for Digital Guardian's future. Uh, what I would tell you to take away from our conversation today is that if you're looking for a solution that can take some of the guesswork out of DLP, meaning that, you know, you don't have the people to manage it. Great. Let us do that for you. Uh, you're a smaller organization and you're not getting phone calls back from the large vendors. We're going to talk to you and we're going to guide you through this. We're very consultative and our job is to give you the advice to help you make the right decisions. Once again, that's why we've talked about this, you know, governance process up front, right? So what uh, I would say is that, you know, our SaaS based tool, it's mature. We've been selling in a SaaS world for seven years. We've got uh, the probably best in class uh, data analytics console. It's almost a SIM for DLP. We're pulling in data from Microsoft uh, for Teams. So you can get all your Teams data directly in our console, as well as we're actually integrating all the Microsoft labeling. So you can do MIP, AIP labeling. And uh, our, our latest uh, acquisition or being acquired by Help Systems integrates Titus into our platform in Vera. So these are really incredible tool sets that we're going to have as part of our uh, kind of ecosystem here. And we really kind of play a unique role in the holistic approach to data protection, right? So we're not the only vendor that you may need, but we do have a lot of aspects that we cover that can be really uh, assertive. And, and, you know, the biggest one today that I'd say is the work from home strategy. And with the work from home strategy, you have one problem, and that is people aren't on the VPN. They're just not. And, and, and even if you haven't always on, it doesn't always work. And, and I know my IT guys out there are laughing because that's definitely a truthful part about the problems we solve as IT and security administrators is keeping employees on the network and safely secure. That's not a, a, a possibility always these days. And that's where we really have found our niche. 
because our agent is able to communicate whether you're at Starbucks, you're at the library, you're sitting in, uh, you know, a airplane, uh, the, you know, small connections is fine. We, we're doing about 300 kilobytes per day. So in the end, uh, you know, our framework was built for the work from home strategy. We were set up to protect unstructured data. And we're here to help you answer the hard questions that nobody really knows to ask. And so uh, with that, Paul, I really appreciate the time we spent today. It's been really educational. And uh, I, I look forward to another conversation if we can have one. Yeah, no, just uh, and thank you. You know, really appreciate you being on. And um, I, I was kind of thinking as we as we got to the end of that, we have squeezed an awful lot into thirty five minutes here. Um, and often I will hear people um, play podcasts at one and a half speed uh, just to kind of get through the get through the amount of podcasts. I would suggest you play this at three quarter speed just to make sure you don't miss anything. So, um, but uh, yeah, Justin, th- thanks for being a guest on Tech Interviews. Um, I'm I'm sure we'll be uh, getting some more content out there in the not too distant future. I think we we may have some ideas around uh, maybe doing some practical stuff that we we can share around building some dlp so so you know kind of guys do, do, do look out for that if uh, if we get to get the opportunity to produce that but for now justin thanks for being on tech interviews really appreciate your time and uh speak to you again soon sounds great i hope you enjoyed that for show notes pop over to techstringy.com we'll also find all of our previous tech interviews episodes and if you've got an idea for a show or would like to appear as a future guest then why not email me at podcast at techstringy.com if you want to catch the next episode of Tech Interviews and why not subscribe, you can subscribe in all good homes of podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify, and for the video version of the show on YouTube. So until next time, thanks for joining me.